listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome to another Gator Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Hall, in studio, joined by Zach Abelverde. Zach, how are, you, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Graham. We got a lot of uh, news to get to today and especially a, a busy time right now for this basketball team in the transfer portal. But doing Zoom uh, this week, once again, I've, I'm stuffed up and can't come in, but not from a sickness, from the good old allergies. Man, this pollen is ridiculous. Oh my gosh, man. I, I finally got the right medicine, though, that's, uh, I think, helping me out. But nonetheless, um, you know, look, no matter what's been said or, or what's been talked about uh, this Florida basketball program, clearly some of these guys in the transfer portal aren't allergic to this team because Mike White and his staff have been cleaning up the past week, Graham, since we uh, potted. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. We'll also get into some football talk and a lot of the other sports going on here on campus. But uh, we got to start with hoops, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had talked last week about a lot of people thinking the sky was falling. I think that's fair to say. After the wave of departures, three guys leaving for the NBA draft in Trey Mann, Colin Castleton, and Scotty Lewis, which was a late surprise, putting his name in the NBA draft and signing with an agent, effectively ending his career with the Florida Gators after two years. And then there were a wave of transfers, four guys leaving in the wake, bringing the total to seven departures from the end of the season. And a lot of people were sitting here scratching their heads and I think we joked last week saying, hey, maybe we're going to have to suit up for this team if they want us. But they found some answers. And two of them we had speculated about last week, Zach. The first one, Brandon McKissick. You look around at what he has done the last three years, making the all-defense teams in the two leagues that he played in before UMKC, that's University of Missouri, Kansas City, moved to the Summit League before last season. That's a league that I think Florida fans have got to be a little familiar with after Oral Roberts bounced Florida from the NCAA tournament in the second round, Oral Roberts' Summit League team as well, that played two games against UMKC this year. In those games, Brandon McKissick went for more than 20 points in each of them, but they're also getting an elite defender, Zach, although he's a little bit smaller than that six foot three stature uh, really would indicate. I don't know if he's really six foot three. This is a guy that averaged more than 1.5 steals per game last season to go along with 17 points. They're getting an upgrade on defense at the two spot uh, after losing Noah Locke there, that that has to be impressive and a little bit of a, a sigh of relief for Florida fans. Yeah, no doubt, Graham. And I, I think when you look at how those pieces were lost and, and a lot of people looking at how that was going to be replaced through the transfer portal, I mean, you wondered how the Gators were going to be able to do that and if they could get upgrades. And right now, looking across the board, I mean, they, they've pretty much upgraded at every spot when you look at what they lost from a production standpoint and what they're gaining with what these guys uh, produced at their previous spot. So, I mean, and the crazy thing about it, as you know, they're not done uh, in the portal either. They still got some more pieces to add, uh, but they've already improved their roster. I, I don't think anybody would debate that uh, as far as what they lost and, and what they gained. Uh, I mean, out of all these three guys, Graham, which one do you feel like is going to be able to come in and make the most immediate impact for this team next season? In terms of the most immediate impact, I'm going to go with the one that they got yesterday, uh, Myrion Jones. That's a guy who, in his last two years at Penn State, really kind of a combo guard. He's not a true point guard 
like McKissick was, you got a guy who values the basketball. And I don't mean that in a way where he is taking a lot of shots. He was in the top 1% of turnover margin of avoiding turnovers last season. Just a really good, um, in terms of not making mistakes, often he's in catch and shoot situations. So that explains a whole lot of it. But after the way that Florida turned the ball over last season at a high rate, they were really looking for a guard who could play either the two, maybe even the three spot and and the one as well. And in some big lineups that wasn't going to turn it over at a high rate. And they got that in Myrion Jones, who also, you mentioned three point shooting. That's a guy who shot it at, at above 40% his sophomore year, finished second in the big 10 in three-point shooting, and then last year dropped down by one percentage to 39.5, even though he took him at a higher clip. A high-volume shooter who also values the basketball, like I said. I mean, that's a huge grab for the Gators. Uh, But the third one that we haven't mentioned here, Zach, I actually think has a chance to be the longest, the the best value outside of just next season, considering he's only played two years and and arrives in Gainesville as a 19-year-old. That's C.J. Felder out of Boston College. He actually can shoot the three-pointer as well. That was his first season last year that you actually saw him do that. He shot it around 31.4%. But a guy who, right along with Colin Castleton, is going to block shots at a very, very high percentage. He averaged more than two last last season, 2.2 block shots at six foot seven. So a little bit of an undersized guy there for the rate that he's blocking shots at and, and gives Florida an, an immediate upgrade of defense. Like you said, it, it's hard to feel that they didn't just get better for next season, but actually beyond, because if you looked at Omar Payne having two years left here on the roster, I do feel as if Felder is an upgrade on Omar Payne for not just the short term, but the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And you just look at the pieces. I mean, you're replacing uh, Noah Locke with Jones and Payne with Felder. I mean, both of those guys are are better players than the guys that they're replacing. And, and McKissick uh, isn't, you know, he's not the going to be Trey Mann he's not going to be at that level but he's definitely a guy that's going to be able to come in and produce points for you and, and fill that that void there that's that's lost for man so I just think when you look at it in full of of how the the roster kind of going to break down now and the pieces that they replace you know you still got to figure out um, you know the roster spots for for Glover and Osifo, and there's still some names out there like Devion Smith and, and Noah Gurley, and and don't forget you got Reeves coming in as well, who's probably going to take that role that Scotty Lewis played in terms of his minutes and, and where he fits in the lineup. I mean, you just when you listen all and you look at it and you look at the production, I mean, you got to give Mike White and the staff a lot of credit and. I mean, again, I, I kind of mentioned it jokingly at the beginning, Graham, about how these guys aren't allergic to Florida. But really, I mean, what does this say about the Gator basketball program and more specifically these coaches and how they're viewed by players coming in from the portal? I mean, they certainly don't have the you know the, the same outlook on, on Florida basketball right now that maybe some in the fan base do. And they feel like this is a good landing spot for them. And I think the fact that Florida landed three like this kind of speaks to that. I absolutely agree. I I think we've said it here before that there does seem to be often a little bit of a disconnect between how the fan base perceives the Florida Gators basketball program and how the team is perceived nationally, not just on the outside by the media and the fans, but also by high school recruits. You got to remember, Mike White is a highly regarded recruiter uh, at the AAU and the high school level. This is someone who a few years ago in his second season at Florida was the first one 
along with, I think, Canyon University, something like that, to identify Shai Alexander before Kentucky came in in the last minute. And, and look at him right now. Mike White has identified recruits and closed the deal at a high high rate more often than not when he wants someone they do land him if the interest is mutual you can go back several years to when they signed that top 10 class with scotty lewis and then landing trey Mann, the five-star point guard although a lot of people will say hey that's someone in your own backyard i mean if you follow football you know that that's just not as easy as you'd like to think it is when you have to fend off other programs and you haven't had the same amount of success as some of the other programs that are interested in you and florida has done that I think at an extremely high level and then using the transfer portal, you can go back several years as well with that Canyon Barry, uh, obviously Carrie Blackshear a couple years ago. And then Colin Castleton last year, that was a guy that I think even though he was considered a top 100 prospect, he, he came in here and didn't really have the numbers that even these guys have. He was averaging four points a game. Yes. It was in a loaded front court, in Michigan, but you didn't see the amount of production, the starters minutes that Florida is getting in, in these three guys and McKissick, a guy who's started for four years and made three all defense teams and and CJ Felder, who I said is already 19, only 19 years old, which let me put that in perspective. Scotty Lewis just finished his sophomore year and and turned 21 before he finished it. You have a guy who is going to be 19 until January of next year coming in the program who already has started consistently and put up 11 points against Florida last year when Florida played Boston College in that second game of the season. So you absolutely, I think, if there's one thing you have to agree on with how Mike White has done at Florida is that the recruiting has been not something that you can consistently knock. They identified their targets in the transfer portal right now in this window, and they landed them. They're, they're right now three for three, if you believe if you believe the word out there, um, in targets that they wanted. And right now, they're looking a lot better than they ended the season. And I think that many people, it is because they realize this is a team that lost their best weapon in the fourth game of the season in Keontae Johnson and still made the NCAA tournament when the season was kind of on the ropes when they were thinking about shutting it down. A lot of prospects see the will, the coaching that it took to will those guys to the finish and beyond into the postseason, And they want to be a part of a team that is not going to uh, throw in the towel when the going gets tough, Zach. Now, Graham, as you look at this roster and some of the remaining openings that they have, I mean, where do you feel like they still need to hit in the transfer portal? Uh, I already mentioned some of the names, and, and I don't know if you know where things stand or, or with some of these guys or what you know, what the reports have been. But you know, at, at this point, what what still needs to be added, a, along with obviously Colin Castleton staying, for the Gators to really like their roster for next season? Well, you actually mentioned the two that if they can go out in there and land both of those guys, Davion Smith, uh, the Mississippi State point guard who is in the transfer portal, and then Noah Gurley, the firm university uh, forward who we believe is going to announce on Sunday and has the Gators in his top eight. So by the time we talk next week, we will know if Noah Gurley is going to join Florida or play for another program who is coveting uh, the, the two way forward. If they can get either one of those guys or even both of them, I think that this has been a I don't want to say miraculous, but an extremely, extremely impressive response to the amount of the, the mass exodus, I think we can call it, that occurred right after the end of the season. I think what many people, though, Zach, aren't really necessarily factoring in that I think we should factor in is that there are three players on this current roster, if you factor in signee Kawasi Reeves, who signed with the program in November of last year, Along with Reeves and Niles Lane and Samson Rosensive, who 
really are going to kind of be freshmen all over again, if you ask me, because they're going to get a full summer. They're going to be vaccinated. They're going to have a chance to go through multiple live scrimmages in October and November and, and actually acclimate to the college game, which they didn't really get a full chance to do until late in the season this year. Those are the three additions that I think a lot of people are underestimating. I would not be sur- surprised if Reeves came in, which we've seen a lot of highly rated freshmen come in and make a bim- big impact, especially in the SEC. I mean, this is a guy who was the 27th overall prospect in the signing class, just two spots away from being a five-star prospect. It is not unrealistic to think that he could come in and play serious minutes at that two or three guard spot at six foot six. And then Niles Lane and Samson Rosensev, I know I'm kind of opting out of the question here and saying what other additions they could have, but I really think that those guys, we haven't even seen them scratch the surface of what they can do. I think Niles Lane is a better on-ball defender than Scotty Lewis was, and I think that once he can really learn the team's defensive scheme and not make mistakes on the offensive end in the half court, you're going to see him play a whole lot more because he's not going to be a a minor liability for the Gators out there and, and I know that he's extremely motivated to do that. And then Samson Rosensev, I, you know, if anyone I think is going to replace Noah Locke's three-point shooting, I don't know if they're going to find a guy out there who's going to be a transition corner three guy like Locke, one of the best in the country. But if they can get Samson Rosensev to give them 15, 20 minutes a game and start filling in that role, I mean, that is an amazing recovery. And really, it's what people I don't think are factoring in because when you've seen freshmen, I think you often forget that they can make a huge jump going into that sophomore year. Look at Joakim Noah, the massive leap that he made as a freshman. I'm not saying that that's going to happen for these guys, but it is not always linear. You can see guys make huge leaps in the offseason, and I wouldn't be surprised if this happened for at least one of these guys, Zach. No doubt. Now, Graham, last week when we started talking hoops, I, I threw a question out to you about Scott Strickland, and it was pure speculation on your part as to, what you thought his thinking was in reaction to all these transfers and maybe why he doesn't feel like it's a a poor reflection on Mike White. And literally the day that we recorded that and and you gave your answer, Scott Strickland went on WRUF and basically said the exact same thing that you did uh, in terms of his concerns with the transfer portal and the way college basketball has kind of evolved. But he also made the comments that he feels like Mike White is going to be the coach here for a long time, uh, and, and that that's his expectation. I, I just want to get your reaction to all that and, and and what he had to say about the transfers and also Mike White. Well, you know that I'm personally not surprised. I think that there were some people out there who rolled their eyes, were a little bit taken aback. Maybe they wanted Scott Strickland to come out there and say that the bar has got to be higher. This is the University of Florida. He wasn't going to be doing that on sports scene with Steve Russell. I don't think that if he has, if he has a problem with Mike White or anything in the program, it's not going to come out publicly. I think this was these comments by Scott Strickland, where I think trying to set the record straight here, because as I said, in the beginning of the segment, it has kind of got, I think a little bit misconstrued, especially in the Florida fan base, not everyone, obviously, but many, I think don't understand how difficult it is to do what they think is the expectation or the standard, whatever you want to call it. And Scott Strickland is very aware that the game has changed significantly in college basketball over the last five years. We talked last week, right as this happened, that Roy Williams had retired and he had cited 
the ever-changing landscape of college basketball, recruiting is becoming much more difficult and to still do it at a high rate, retain your players, have consistent development, deal with all these avenues that a player can leave to keep making the NCAA tournament and not have these huge, massive rebuilds, I think deserves a lot of credit. And Scott Strickland seems to agree. He said when he wants to move on from a coach is when he no longer believes that he or she is the right person to continue leading the program. And he firmly stated that he still feels that Mike White is the person to lead the Florida basketball program and thinks that he will be here for a long time. I think that the way that they've responded in the last five days since those comments came out have really kind of put into perspective why he thinks that. Because when the going gets tough, when they're, their backs are against the wall, it may not be a perfect response, but Mike White has responded much better than I think the norm is in college basketball. And that's not even NCAA tournament or recruiting success, but adapting midseason, changing the offense when injury occurs, when you lose a, a vital piece, as we've seen in several seasons with a front court player, not even just last year with Keontae Johnson. This team has bounced back from significant injuries, departures, players losing confidence and their abilities, it seems at times midseason, and they still have made the tournament. And I think that Scott Strickland, until that changes or until there it looks like there's regression, he seems like he's going to stick with Mike White. And we saw him actually come out there and say that the other day. And I was a little bit surprised by that. But actually, I think it was a good thing that he did that. Now, Graham, I got to give you some props because in your bracket, you got it right. You picked Baylor to win, and I had Gonzaga winning the whole thing. We had the same championship game, uh, but obviously a, a huge moment for Baylor and for Scott Drew. And, and I know you had you know mentioned his name uh, a, a while back uh, on one of our podcasts, but obviously a great time for them to be on, on top of college basketball right now. Well, there was a story from FloridaGators.com this week uh, from Scott Carter who spoke with Scott Strickland about Baylor's run to the national title, but more specifically the turnaround that Scott Drew has had there. And I'm sure everybody has, has seen it by now, you know, the, the time that it's taken for him to get to the Bears to uh, a national championship and, and a lot of, you know, losing seasons kind of early in his tenure. And this story entitled you know, Strickland Knows the, the Long Road That Baylor and Drew Took to Title it kind of recaps Scott's background with Baylor and the fact that he was there as a 33-year-old assistant athletic director for communications when Drew was hired and the basketball cr- program was going through uh, just a, a bunch of stuff uh, in terms of trouble from the NCAA. And Scott Strickland was there and, and actually met with Drew uh, on his int- day of his introductory press conference before he went on to take a job at Kentucky. But because of his time at Baylor and kind of him knowing the background of all the struggles that they had as a basketball program, he's always followed Drew's career from afar and that basketball team from afar. So he talked to Scott Carter about their title run and just what he's done at that program. And I, I felt like it was very interesting as, as it ties to Mike White. And Scott even wrote that in his story. He, he mentions the comments about White um, – and and Strickland expecting him to be there for a long time. And then Scott Carter writes, while outsiders may fret about the program, Strickland's perspective is grounded in reality. He knows a real crisis from a perceived one. His time at Baylor taught him that. And here's the quote from Strickland, and I'll get your reaction to it, Graham. Uh, I follow that program because of being there. Obviously, he has a really good team. He's talking about Scott Drew. Early on, the knock against him was that he couldn't coach. 
He was a positive guy who was perfect for the situation at the moment, but people weren't sure how good of a coach he was. Just the way he has totally changed the narrative about himself and his ability as a coach, kudos to Baylor. They gave him the opportunity and the time to do that and to grow into the job. It's cool to see him reap those rewards, and I think that that certainly applies to how he feels about Mike White, does it not? Oh, absolutely. And I know there are people out there who don't like that, who think that the comparisons are unfair. Well, Mike White inherited a program two years removed from the final four. Yeah. I I mean, the lesson is the same though. You don't know, especially in college basketball, when you have a great coach or a bad coach, if you're only judging it off of the NCAA tournament. And I think what happened with Baylor and not even just NCAA scandal, that's a real life scandal. I, I mean, we don't need to recap the whole thing here, but what that program what happened in that program before he arrived there was shocking. And everyone has made the point that he probably wouldn't have got as much time if he was at another program as if that, that is like a, I don't know, saying that it's undoing of his success. If anything, I think it's a fair commentary on how we, how short minded we are with coaches in college basketball. It's so quick to write them off after a crazy game or a losing season where you lose one player or something happens. I just don't understand why so many people have a short fuse with college basketball coaches. And you look at what Scott drew had done really since the end, only like six years into his tenure, did he start having a whole lot of success? It may have been even sooner than that. Right around 2009, 2010, they became a dominant consistent college basketball program And it was right around when he was yeah in his early 40s and was still kind of a young coach here. But they became a really, really good program. But you looked at their NCAA tournament success, like I mentioned, only made one Elite Eight in that run, even though they had multiple seasons of 25 wins, 24 wins, winning the Big 12 championship several times, and then not getting much farther into the tournament. There were people who could have said, well, this isn't the bar here. We have to get farther. But they saw the progress year to year. They saw his ability to recruit. And when the transfer portal opened up these last couple of years, he saw a window of opportunity to bring people to the program like never before. You looked at that game the other night, and how could you not sit back and say, well, you know, maybe transfers are a good thing. Maybe when you replace guys that you don't think are ready for the level that you want to be at and you can bring in more talent, maybe that's a good thing. But first, you have to get rid of the first guys. And that's what Florida was doing last week. And as I mentioned with Baylor's backcourt, you saw those guys. Jared Butler, I mean, Auburn. He signed with Auburn and then left that program. Davion Mitchell, I mean, a guy that now is going to be a lottery pick and and enter the transfer portal and transfer to Baylor. I mean, incredible stories. Two former SEC guys, Maceo Tiga, UNC Wilmington guy, who was tremendous against that Gonzaga backcourt. That should have told everyone that, hey, you have to see how it pans out with transfers. And sometimes they're a good thing because a team with a transfer-loaded backcourt just dominated the undefeated team in the NCAA tournament. And as you noted with Scott Strickland, he maybe wasn't as surprised 
about that because he saw how this was 18 years in the making. He did. And obviously uh, you saw it though, Graham, because you picked them to win it all. Uh, but that was, that was unfortunate that that game was not more competitive. I, I was hoping that it would be uh, kind of somewhat what we got with, with that UCLA matchup uh, against Gonzaga, but nonetheless, it was still a good tournament. I'm glad that the, that it was able to, to happen, uh, that they were able to play without any disruptions or anything like that. And uh, now, obviously, we move into the offseason. And as we mentioned, Ford is not done in the transfer portal. You know, we'll continue to monitor what's happening there. And who knows, by the time you guys listen to this, Florida might have added another player from the transfer <laughs> portal. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I don't think there's going to be any more defections. I do expect Colin Castleton to come back next season. I'm sure Graham does as well. Um, but we'll keep you guys posted on any additional players that might be joining this program. We're going to get to this first break. We'll come back on the other side and run through several other sports. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. We are back. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall, joined by... Zach Albalverde. We're going to switch gears now from basketball and talk a little bit of high school football recruiting. UF's quarterback commit got a boost in the rankings this week, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. Nick Evers tweeted out on Thursday that uh, he got some good news from the four-letter network. ESPN has uh, officially rated him now as a four-star prospect, and they also have him as a top 300 prospect uh, in their ESPN 300. He's ranked uh, 166 nationally and the 10th best uh, pro or excuse me, pocket passers, how they have them uh, classified on ESPN's ranking, but number 10 at, at his position. But certainly to have that four star next to his name to be a top 200 kid, according to ESPN, uh, that's definitely what you want to see. And it also speaks to another quarterback prospect that Dan Mullen has kind of identified that is lower rated when he's first commits to Florida, but as the process plays out, he rises in the rankings and sometimes earns an extra star. And we've kind of seen that time and time again. We saw it with Carlos Del Rio last year, and and now we're seeing it with Nick Evers. And we spoke a few weeks ago about Evers when they initially landed him. I think a lot of people were kind of a little bit down on the take at the time, maybe because of he hadn't yet received that four-star ranking, but we had talked and said that there really is never, I think, any reason to doubt a Dan Mullen take at the quarterback position. And we also, I think, spoke a little bit about some of the strange occurrences of the last year, the lack of camps, the lack of film, and why that may have factored into some of these guys' rankings. And now less than a month later, and after he showed out in Dallas, Evers has kind of proved everyone wrong and, and kind of back to what we said and started to already get some of that uh, highly regarded um, rankings from guys around the country, starting with ESPN. Obviously, Graham, that's only going to improve uh, where he ranks in the 24-7 sports composite. You have to think that rivals in 247 are going to give him bumps as well in their ranking after the way that he's performed on that camp circuit, like you, like you mentioned, Graham. And he's scheduled to be in Gainesville for that first official visit weekend, June 4th. I think right now, Graham, they're scheduled to be about 15 guys that are going to be on campus for that first weekend. So it is going to be a massive official visit weekend. And I think there's going to be, you know, handful of guys that are rated in the top 100. Some guys that are like top 20, uh, top 30 prospects. you got some five stars that are going to be in town and the guy that's going to be there 
certainly trying to pull the strings and help with those recruiting efforts is going to be Nick Evers. And I think to have your quarterback commit there, especially after his name's been buzzing on social media in a couple of weeks, and now he's got this uh, recruiting ranking from ESPN, uh, that's the type of guy that you want to have there trying to help you land some of these guys. And he's definitely going to be an asset uh, when they get to that weekend, as will Corey Bell. And we did not mention this last week, so I, I do want to discuss this uh, addition to Florida's recruiting staff and certainly a name that's very familiar with Florida fans, the Gators' former defensive backs coach, now back in Gainesville, rejoining the staff uh, as one of their assistant directors of player personnel in the recruiting department. He's going to handle high school relations. And for folks that are familiar with Corey Bell's background, I mean, this is a guy that has had these recruiting roles at other stops in the state. He was, uh, you know, Randy Shannon's director of football operations at Miami. He was uh, the head director of player personnel at Florida Atlantic, and then certainly has been at some other stops as well, including uh, UCF most recently. And, and Graham, I'll get your reaction to this higher, but here's one reason why I think is very important. You look at what Miami did in hiring Travaris Robinson, who's a ace recruiter in, in South Florida. And then you look at what Florida State just did, adding Randy Shannon to their staff as an analyst, who's certainly going to help with South Florida recruiting. I, I think it was very critical that they got someone in addition to John Heron to help them recruit Miami. And what better guy could you have added than Corey Bell? I think this is a really important addition for Dan Mullen's recruiting staff. I do too, absolutely. And we had talked, I think, earlier back in uh, January when we talked about them needing to prioritize the South Florida area a little bit more. And that's why hiring Wesley McGriff was so critical for Dan Mullen in the, in the wake of last season. But you add Corey Bell as well as McGriff, and, and you mentioned John Heron. And, and I really think that Florida has responded well after some kind of deficits in that area from a recruiting standpoint the last couple of years. Florida fans, as you mentioned, certainly certainly familiar with Corey Bell, uh, but what they may not know, deeply regarded in Miami, as you mentioned, Miami native, coached Miami Edison down there in 2003 when the, the U was really back. And I think that you can look at what he's done in the time since staying around the state, FAU, continuing to recruit some of these guys since they were eighth graders, freshmen. He has a lot of familiarity with a lot of prospects that Florida's going for right now. So you're also not getting some guy from up north or even another program up in Alabama, Auburn, that has to come down and, and get to know everyone else down here and, and just bank on those old relationships. He has a lot of familiarity with everyone right now. So the Gators can really hit the ground running and try and clean up. You know, a lot of people have said to me that Florida really didn't capitalize on a recruiting standpoint from FSU and Miami kind of being down Miami getting back here, FSU still down, but the Gators really are looking to, I think to make amends for that and make up for it this season and, and hiring Corey Bell is a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, no doubt. And the reason why we didn't get to it last week is because we were so busy recapping Pro Day and all the things that happened there. Now, one of the guys that we did not mention was Martez Ivy. He was there uh, working out at Pro Day as well. And that appears to have paid off for him because he has signed a one-year contract with the Carolina Panthers. And just really great for him to get that opportunity. He played with the, the Vipers uh, last season in the XFL. And guy, obviously, that was a multi-year starter at Florida, a former five-star prospect, just hadn't been able to catch on uh, with an NFL team. He did sign as an undrafted free agent, but now gets another opportunity. And certainly you have to think, Graham, that that, that workout at Pro Day helped. 
Absolutely. This is a guy, former five-star prospect that really was a noticeable name who didn't get drafted a couple years ago. And you, you wondered what happened, but now it looks like he's back to impressing teams. And as you know, in Carolina, they may be having a quarterback uh, change up there after going with Teddy Bridgewater last year, who has that massive contract. The Panthers traded last week for Sam Darnold uh, for three picks. So obviously looking to protect maybe their quarterback of the future there and adding some competition to that left guard, left tackle spot in Martez Ivy, although certainly he's not the only Florida left tackle who has been drawing a lot of buzz in the last week since Pro Day. That's right, Graham. Obviously, uh, Stone Forsythe is a guy that we talked about last week and, and and someone that has, you know, just called like it is. He really hasn't gotten a lot of, I think, recognition or respect for what he did last year, not in, in terms of the way that some of the analysts look at him because he has been highly regarded, but just from a – you know, national notoriety standpoint, he's just not gotten a lot of praise. Um, but you've seen consistently pro football focus all last year was praising him for the way that he was performing in pass protection. And uh, consistently throughout the year, he was just one of the best uh, left tackles in college football and was protecting Kyle Trask's blindside, uh, obviously, and, and helping him onto a Heisman Trophy finalist type of season. Well, now that you've seen his pro day workout happen, the numbers that he put up, the 40 that he was able to run, uh, and the weight that he was able to drop, checking in at six foot uh, eight, 307 pounds, uh, he's starting to get some love now uh, from draft analysts who are moving him up their, their boards. And uh, I think this week he got a third round grade uh, from draft from draft analyst Dane Brugler, uh, and and I think that was the first time that I'd seen him that high, uh, you know, up in the second round. And then you look at another uh, draft analyst, uh, Matt Miller, who appears on ESPN as part of their draft coverage. He's he specifically uh, mentioned Stone Forsythe on Twitter as one of two guys that he was way too low on, um, and that he's now projecting Stone Forsythe as a second-round prospect, giving him a second-round grade. Um, so I, I definitely think that he's starting to wake some people up, Graham, and I, I'm sure his numbers and what he did at Pro Day helped as well. He also backs up what I said earlier about progression not exactly being a linear thing. You got to remember, two seasons ago, there were a lot of people who were very down on Stone Forsythe's play. There were even some media members who I uh, won't mention. It wasn't us, luckily, who were uh, making jokes about his feet and saying he had stone feet that was totally unfair in retrospect. I mean, you look at a guy who just needed uh, double-digit games starting after waiting in the wings for three seasons to really show what he can do. You mentioned some of uh, his intangibles. You mentioned how big he is. I mean, his wingspan, 83, insane. But what really, I think, impressed people and is it's starting to move him up boards is what he did in some of those drills in pro day. I mean, his three cone drill would have ranked top five among all offensive linemen at the 2019, the last combine that we had. So you're really to compare it against everyone out there. I mean, that is an insane, insane number for someone, his size, his speed, and what he put on film last year, he has benefited from a lot of people studying Kyle Trask's film and seeing him on tape. And they've seen his protection on the left side because no offense to Florida's right side of the line. You can see that it's much more stout on the left side of the line in various situations. And that stood out to NFL draft analysts and is standing out to GMs as we get here to the NFL draft here in a couple of weeks. And I would not be surprised, as you mentioned, if Stone Forsythe is drafted before the third round now. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, before we uh, switch gears here, I, I want to mention uh, and give a shout out to former Gators running back Fred Taylor, who was inducted into 
the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame, not the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not yet, uh, but he did get inducted into the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame, definitely uh, well-deserved, but it gave the opportunity for a bunch of Florida fans to uh, tweet at the Pro Football Hall of Fame Twitter account uh, after this news came out about the Senior Bowl recognition and just be like, yo, what's up? When are you going to put this guy in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And th- that's been a constant conversation. I know Fred has uh, been outspoken about it for several years. Um, definitely a guy that deserves to be it when you look at his numbers historically compared against other running backs that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I will say that I do think him doing this podcast, Graham, uh, that he's a part of uh, with Channing Crowder, and Brandon Marshall and, and Chad Johnson, I think that that's really going to help raise his profile nationally. And I think probably in, in a few years, uh, at some point, he's, he's going to have to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Has to. Absolutely. I, I mean, it goes without saying, I hate to say, I hate to kind of agree with you on that, that maybe if he had a larger social profile, media profile, that people would put some respect on his name, but man, it just seems like those things are tied these days. And unfortunately for Fred Taylor, many people have forgotten how good and consistently good he was in Jacksonville for a long time. I mean, the numbers that he put up backed up that first round selection in the 98 draft. I mean, his, his rushing average um, was one of the best for, I think eight seasons insane insane what he did and the fact that he's not in the pro football hall of fame is just ludicrous in my mind and maybe when they recognize him here in june we'll start that campaign rolling again and we'll see him pushed towards the hall of fame you know that's what i think brandon marshall and and chad johnson need to do on one of these i am athlete podcasts here in the coming weeks is they need to start vouching for fred taylor to get in because his numbers numbers don't lie man yeah and i'm sure that there will be some type of coordinated campaign at some point if uh, this continues. But I, I do think that him being on there is going to just help kind of open people's eyes to him and and, and certainly his career that he had uh, in the NFL. I do want to give a shout out to the men's tennis team for winning the SEC title. Certainly not the first for that program uh, and, and not the first for the Gators as that brings them to 250 overall as a program uh, for SEC championships, far and away the most in the league. I think that the next uh, team that's there has like 156. So the Gators almost ahead of number two by 100 SEC titles. And it just speaks to why people refer to Florida as the everything school, right, Graham? Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt about that. I know that a lot of people have blinders on and often are only looking at football and, and basketball when they're doing poorly. But I think that you forget that of the 19 varsity sports at Florida, they've achieved a massive amount of success in nearly all of them. You look at the amount of titles they've won in track and field, men swimming and diving, women swimming and diving. I mean, the list goes on. Tennis right now is is doing tremendous. You got to give Brian Shelton a whole lot of credit um, for the work that he's doing right there. Uh, obviously, Roland Thornquist as well. But yeah, that 250 number, I think it's 94 more than Tennessee, who's got 156. So some bragging rights if you need it anymore over the balls and the rest of the SEC here because uh, that is a tremendous number and it, it deserves to be mentioned because too often we spend so much time just talking football and basketball that we forget all the other athletes, 90% of them uh, play other sports here at Florida and have achieved similar amount of success. So it's good to mention them and see Scott Strickland remind everyone that this is an everything school. Well, 250 is a tremendous number. I'm, I'm going to give you another tremendous number, Graham. 
16. 16 is how many runs the Florida softball team beat Georgia by over the weekend. And that gives that gave the Gators their largest all-time margin of victory over the Bulldogs in softball. And I had to take the opportunity to tweet out a photo of Steve Spurrier grilling because I'm sure that he was uh, happy to see that uh, when, when the Gators beat UGA. And, and certainly they took the series with the 8-1 win on Monday, um, a great uh, series win for them over number 20 uh, UGA and then they won the double header on Wednesday against South Florida uh, nine to one and two to one and certainly got to give a shout out to the Florida baseball team they got a tremendous uh, series victory over number three Ole Miss over the weekend uh, Sully decided to switch up the pitching and, and start uh, some new guys have Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich come in relief effort but it's certainly paid off at least on Friday and then a great victory on Sunday that you were at Graham covering my boy Jordan Carrion uh, got his, his his home run he took the mound got SEC co-player of the week and the reason why he's my boy is because he's got letter from Lucci as his walk-up song so it's just a little soft spot in my heart right there uh, but he definitely had a great performance Sunday and the Gators or excuse me Saturday and the Gators continued it this week 7-6 victory over Stetson and then uh, put, put the mercy rule into effect on Wednesday night against Fort A&M, their fourth victory over the Rattlers, uh, 10 to nothing. And then they head to Knoxville this weekend for another top 10 matchup, uh, Graham, against Tennessee. Uh, so that, that'll be tough, but I definitely got to give them credit. They've, they found a way to bounce back since that loss uh, at South Carolina, that sweep rather. Florida rarely is the underdog, and they were last weekend. You and I both, as you mentioned, were out there at that Ole Miss series when the Gators were ranked number 15 and Ole Miss was number three in the country. And it was even going into the rubber match there, one, one a piece when I went out there Saturday and, and the Gators. Yeah. As you mentioned, Jordan carry what he did was insane. I mean, had his first career home run and then moved from the outfield to pitch on the mound. When, when Ole Miss had runners on the corners, runners on first and third and a chance to take the lead there in the seventh inning. I mean, what a gutsy decision by Kevin O'Sullivan to go with carry on the freshman and he pulled it out absolutely to help Florida pull out the six to five victory over the rebels improved to 20 and nine. And then, as you mentioned, you know, that Stetson game never won. I think you can take for granted going back a couple years ago where Stetson had that 10 to two lead over the Gators uh, back at old McKeithen stadium. I hate calling it old, but it is now <laughs> had the lead over the Gators there and rain came in and they couldn't finish the game, even though Stetson wanted to reschedule and never got rescheduled. So they never got to actually taste sweet victory over Florida. And ever since then, it's been a little bit contentious and you're seeing that in the games. Uh, you can never take the Hatters lightly and Florida pulled out a seven, six victory on Tuesday. And now, as you mentioned, heads to a weekend series at Tennessee against a Tennessee program that is absolutely thriving right now. Top, I think they're number six in the country. If they haven't cracked the top five, yeah, they've been haven't lost an SEC series. I mean, they're killing it. That is insane. I think last week we were talking about what are the best SEC teams because you got Vanderbilt, the Mississippis. It's hard to keep track. They're shuffling every single week, <laughs> it seems. And Florida actually finding themselves on the outside looking in here. But if they can do what they did last weekend, uh, no doubt that they possibly can pull out another victory uh, as the underdog over a top SEC program. Yeah, I think if they don't have a five and a half hour game, won and lose that <laughs> their, their chances oh, of winning on the road might be a little bit better. I, I personally think that that definitely kind of 
just threw them off through that whole weekend off in Columbia. And it was tough to come back from that first loss. Um, we'll see how the Gators fare in Knoxville. We'll see how they fare in the transfer portal with the basketball program. They are not done yet. So Graham and I will continue to monitor that. We'll be back next week with another episode. Hopefully I'll be back in the office. Now that I got my allergies uh, a little bit more under control and appreciate you guys listening for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Albert.